Today we are continuing in our journey through 1 John, the, the letter of 1 John. This isn't the Gospel of John, though we are going to be uh, a lot in the Gospel of John today. But the, our, uh, our main passage is coming out of the letter of 1 John. And so if you want to find that in your scriptures, feel free to do so. We're in chapter 5. Now one of the most uh, popular uh, genres on TV are uh, criminal procedure shows, crimmies shows. Uh, people seem to love those shows all across the world, no matter what uh, culture it is. People uh, enjoy kind of watching that process of kind of the, the human uh, in our fallenness, you know, going through this process of, of crime and then uh, of <laughs> punishment. If I need to say something about us. But the one of the, when the shows get going and it comes to the trial part, one of the most important persons in the trial is always the witness. And if you've ever watched these shows, the, the lawyers do their best to either tear down the witness if, he's, if they're trying to go against uh, what this guy is saying or lift him up. And the quality of the witness can either make or break the case. Uh, the quality of the witness also depends on about basically three things. One is their credibility. Are they qualified to testify in this particular case? Their uh, proximity, you know, were they... Were they witness to whatever this is about? Were they witness to the crime? Were they witness to the, the whatever took place? And their integrity. You know, are they truthful? Is this a witness that you can trust as being truthful? So their credibility, their proximity, and their integrity are important. And the passage we're looking at today in First uh, John, the Apostle John, addresses this theme. He uses the theme of testimony to help us understand who Christ is and why it's important as the church to follow him. And then remember, as he's ending up, as he's finishing this letter, he's kind of going back and he's rehashing some of the main things he talked about. You know, what it is that makes a person a Christian, the problem of sin within the church, how to set things right when there's the problem of sin, and the character and the nature of Jesus. And the passage we're looking at today, I have to admit, it can, it's a bit confusing. In fact, it, is, it can be very confusing. Some of those passages you can read and know that you've read the words, but, but are confused about what it is it's talking about. And it leans heavy into this idea of testimony. And, you're gonna, and I want you to be aware of this word, testimony, testify, uh, all the words that are kind of around a witness, because John uses this word a lot. In fact, he uses the word testimony or testify in the Gospel of John more so than Matthew, Mark, and Luke use it together. So John leans heavy onto this word, and he uses it a lot in 1 John. And it's also prevalent in the book of Revelation, which I believe John wrote. I think he wrote it with the help of a scribe. But you see the same ideas, the same words being used in Revelation as well. But it's important to understand where he's coming from with this whole idea of testimony, because as you read this passage, if you don't really get what he's talking about, it can, be, it can feel like there's a, a, a lack of substance in what he's saying. But when you really get into what he's meaning, you find that it's very deep. So let's just go through it. We'll talk about it, and then we'll, uh, we'll go deeper into it. So this is found in 1 John chapter 5. This is verses 5 through 12. And again, listen to the, the, the words of testimony that come from this. And if you remember from two weeks ago, he's talking about those who overcome overcome the world. And we went through the revelation of those who overcome. And so we're kind of doing that same thing, except we're leaning on the word testify here. 
So we'll start in verse 5, which is that trans- transitional verse. He says, Who is the one that overcomes the world? But he, believes, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And he who has the Son has the life, and he who does not have the Son does not have the life. So I think you can see just in this passage here, you know, testimony is a big deal. He comes back to that word again and again and again. And in the passage we're looking at today, John, you have to remember, the apostle John was Jewish. And so he has a very Jewish view of what testimony is about. And he takes a very Deuteronomical kind of point of view. In Deuteronomy, the Old Testament, when Moses was conveying the law to the people, he gives a very common sense uh, teaching here about witnesses. He says, A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. This is just common sense, right? He's saying that you can't just take the word of one person against another and then make a judgment because people, you know, we're, we're cruel little critters and we can lie about each other and we can try and tear each other down. And so he says it has to be two or three witnesses, at least, and I think, you know, in modern day, you know, which is actually our laws are based on our Mosaic law, uh, we, we like to have more witnesses because that confirms that testimony. So this is, what, this is how John is understanding this word testimony. And it's an important word to him. A testimony, what is a testimony? Well, it's a sacred, it's a spoken, sacred word of truth. A spoken but sacred word of truth. Uh, in my country back in the day, I don't know what they do now because my country is kind of drifting further and further from God, but it used to be when you testified in court, you placed your hand on the Bible and they would say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. And by saying, I do, you were, you were going to testify in this trial and what you were going to say, you had made a sacred vow that it was true. And it, the idea was that this gave it a certain you know, solemn heft to it, a certain weight to it. And this is definitely for the case of John, because John often talks about words being spoken. Uh, and you see it all throughout Jewish, uh, the, the Old Testament as well. As you go back to Genesis, God speaks creation. He speaks the sacred word, and creation happens. He gives the, word, the, the law to Moses. He, uh, the word is spoken. The word becomes flesh and dwells among us. The Apostle John finds all this idea of testimony, speaking the sacred, important. And so this is what he focuses on, the sacred being spoken. When he talks about testimony, that's what he means, something sacred, something holy, 
is being spoken. And by speaking it, it becomes manifest. It happens. And, so, and this is why I say this is a, a difficult passage to understand because you really have to kind of get into John's head a little bit. And it's difficult to, to get into the head of someone that wrote this a long time ago, and you don't really have him explaining himself. So what we're going to do in explaining this idea of the testimony of the Spirit, the testimony of the water, and the testimony of the blood, is we're going to go back into John's other writings, the Gospel of John, and we're going to look at this words, these words, testimony, and then the, the water testimony, and the Spirit testimony, and the blood. And I think when you begin to put these, this word of testimony together, you begin to see where he's coming from. And so let's start out in the Gospel of John. Let's just go back in there. And the Gospel of John is an interesting gospel. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't follow the same form or pattern of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. They very much tell the same story. There's some additional unique things in all of them. But it pretty much tells the same story. So most scholars believe, in fact, that Matthew and Luke used Mark as a, as, as a source because there's about one-third of the Gospel of Mark in, word for word, in both Matthew and Luke. And uh, back in the day, this wouldn't be considered plagiarism because you're just using sources. And they would, he just used them. But John's a whole different thing. John, and if you've read the Gospel of John, sometimes you're like, well, is, is this the same story? And it is the same story. But let's remember how John was, when John was writing this. John, of all the apostles, lived the longest. According to tradition, he lived the longest. He's the only one that died of natural causes. John was very young, we think, when he was, when he was a disciple of Jesus, when he met Jesus. And then he lived to be quite old. So John saw how the church was growing, and he saw things taking place within the church. And when he writes his gospel, he is writing to address certain issues that are taking place in the church, just as he's addressing certain issues when he writes this letter of 1 John. And one of the main issues which we've talked about that he's addressing is the nature and character of Christ. Who is he? And in fact, that's really what the gospel of John is about. The Gospel of John, if you just place this, if you say like Gospel of John, then a little subtitle says who Jesus is. That is what the Gospel of John is about. Who is he by nature? Who is he by character? And that's why he begins with in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word, he gives a very theological kind of beginning to the idea of who Jesus is. And as a result, he doesn't include some things which some of the other Gospels include. And one of them, which we're going to, it'll come back and it'll become more important to you later as we talk about it. But one story he doesn't include is when Jesus was crucified, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have, as he dies, there's a Roman soldier there. And the Roman soldier looks at Jesus and says, surely this was the Son of God. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have that in there. John doesn't. Why? Now, some people would say, well, this proves there's inconsistencies in the Bible. No, that's lazy thinking. John knew what Matthew, Mark, and Luke said. He'd been around a long time. I believe that he knew what the Gospels of Matthew said, what the Gospels of Mark said, what the Gospel of Luke said. He writes his Gospel for a specific reason, and he doesn't include the confession of testimony from this Roman soldier. Surely this was the Son of God. Why not? Instead, he puts that testimony of confession, Son of God, that title on someone else's lips. Let's look through the gospel now, and we'll see where he puts that, and we'll see why. And I think it can help us to have a deeper appreciation 
as to what depth there is in the Bible that sometimes we just read right over. So as we, before we get into the gospel, let's remember what we're going for here. He says that there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. And what is it they're testifying to? You know, this is a, this is a, a difficult passage where he's kind of weaving ideas in and out. So let's just remember what they're testifying to is this. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, that this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. So this is the simple getting down to the ground thing that, that John the apostle wants the church to understand. Life is in the Son, Jesus Christ. He who has the Son has the life. This is what it means to be a Christian. You have the Son. How do you have the Son? How is it made manifest? Through the Holy Spirit, which he talks about. I'm going to look at that passage again. And he who does not have the Son does not have the life. It's as simple as that. So what's he mean when he says the testimony of the water, the testimony of the Spirit, the testimony of the blood? Let's go back now into the Gospel of John. And this is kind of fascinating when you... You take this passage from the letter, and then you reflect it back into his other writings, which is primarily the Gospel of John and Revelation. Look what he says. Now, he's talking about a different John here. He's talking about a guy named John the Baptist. We call him John the Baptist. Uh, he was John the Baptizer. He wasn't Baptist in the sense that our church is a Baptist church. He, uh, Baptist, in, in the sense of us being a Baptist church, didn't exist back then. He's a Baptizer. And what they used to do back in the day, anytime there was a, a, a special day coming up, a feast day for the Jews, or you had someone that believed he had a word from God, people would get ceremonially cleansed. They would be baptized. And it's, they have a different understanding of baptism than we have today. It wasn't being baptized into Christ. But it was the idea of being cleansed in preparation for the movement of God, for what God was going to do. And that's what John was doing. John was in the desert telling people, that the kingdom of God is near. You need to get ready. Come on out. And people went out, and they were baptized. They were preparing themselves for this movement of God. John was not the first one to do this. He wasn't the last one to do it. In fact, when you read the Gospels, people are still getting baptized, but not by Jesus or the disciples. And the disciples even asked Jesus about that, if you remember. They're like, what's going on over here? So that's what John is doing. He's preparing people for the coming movement of God. So this is what he says. John the Baptist is who he's talking about, testifies, again, he uses that word there, concerning him being Jesus. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. What? <laughs> what he's saying is, this is kind of an interesting little thing that you may not know or you may already know, but John the Baptist was actually the cousin of Jesus Christ. Uh, John's mother Elizabeth and Mary were sisters. John's mother Elizabeth and Jesus' mother Mary were, or they were, were they kind? I'm, they were cousins. <laughs> and so anyway, she's quite a bit older, uh, Elizabeth was. And they, uh, John the Baptist is actually born before Jesus. People think he's about six months older than Jesus. So when he says this, he is before me, is greater than me because he is before me. He understands, John understands that who Jesus is isn't just this person that was born of Mary, that he's something greater, and he always has been something greater. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. John gets this. 
And it's also important to understand as we read this passage, he is speak this passage is taking place after John has baptized Jesus. Because he gets into that testimony a bit later on. And then John begins to talk. He says, From the fullness of his grace, John the apostle, from the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's kind of like the, the there's the differentiation between the Old and New Testament. The law was given to Moses by God, and so it comes through Moses. Grace and truth was given by God through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. That's a deep sentence, too. No one has seen God, but God, the one and only, has made him known. So, like, no one has seen God, but God has revealed God, is what he's saying. You can see where John sometimes people, he says a lot of deep things, but sometimes it's like, what? God has revealed God. That's the word becoming flesh, dwelling among us. Now this was the baptizer's, John the Baptist's testimony. Again, he uses that word. When the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, again, kind of a legal term, but confess freely, I'm not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. It's interesting. John the Baptist takes a very literal view of this. Are you Elijah? He's like, nope, I'm John, son of Zechariah. But later, Jesus tells his disciples, John was the Elijah to come. He's that model of the one that is to come. It's just kind of an interesting way of kind of looking at the scripture. It kind of opens up some questions about, you know, being when do we need to be super literal? When do we need to see kind of a model in there? Because John says, nope. I'm not Elijah. Jesus says, well, you were. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. That's kind of an interesting one, too. There's, in their minds, there's like the Christ and the prophet. They kind of saw something different going on there, but actually they're all one. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am a voice of one calling, on, calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Then why do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one whom you do not know. That's important. You don't, you don't know there's one that stands among you. He's the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. All this happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Again, that kind of circular, what? He has surpassed me because he comes before me, but he comes after me because of who Jesus is, his character, his nature, eternal. I myself did not know him. This is important. But the reason I came baptizing with water is that he might be revealed to Israel. So what is the testimony of the water? The testimony of the water is a to is a revelation of who Christ is to Israel. 
See, at the time, they didn't know who the Messiah was. And in fact, John the baptizer didn't know who the Messiah was. He's just told by God, and we'll read this in his testimony of the Spirit, he's told by God, go out and start baptizing. And the one upon whom you see the Holy Spirit descend and rest, that's the guy, that's the Messiah. So John's out there baptizing. Nope. Not yet. <laughs> and that's what he's doing. And he tells the people of Israel, you have one among you that, that is this Messiah, and you don't even know who he is. And he says, and I didn't even know who he was. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water is that he might be revealed. So the testimony of the water is to reveal Christ to Israel, specifically to Israel. Because remember, Jesus comes first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. It's a revelation first to Israel. And then in the same verses, just the very next one, he then gives the testimony of the Spirit. Look what he says. And this is important. Listen carefully to the words that he says here. Then John gave this testimony. Again, testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. So John, the way the Apostle John is telling this, is he, he's, he's relating it all through the experience of John the Baptist, which was important to the Apostle John because John the Baptist was the Apostle John's rabbi, his first rabbi. He followed John the Baptizer. And then when he met Jesus... He started to follow Jesus. So this is important to John. John the Apostle finds the testimony of his rabbi, John the Baptist, very important. And John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. Look what he says. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So the role of the Messiah is not to baptize with water, but to baptize with the Holy Spirit, to immerse us into the very Spirit of God, to cleanse us, to change us, to transform us by the presence of the Spirit of God. And then look what he says. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Now, it's interesting Kind of rewind back. The other Gospels put the word, the title Son of God on the lips of a Roman, Roman soldier. John puts the Son of God early in his Gospel on the lips of John the baptizer. Why does he do that? He does it for a very specific reason, I believe. We see, because we have other documents in the early church, that the struggles, one of the big struggles in the early church was understanding who Jesus was. And the title Son of God on the lips of a Roman soldier who's not a Christian, most likely is not Jewish, which means that he's what we'd call a pagan, and we don't say that in a judgmental way, but he worships the gods of Rome. The title Son of God means something completely different than what it would mean to a Jew. Because to a pagan Roman, what does Son of God mean? Does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God the same way that Perseus is the Son of God? Does it mean he's Son of God the same way that Hercules was the Son of God? Where Zeus came down and raped these uh, human women and they produced these children that were half God and half man? Deities, demigods, however you want to talk about them? John would say, no, 
the way we understand the Son of God is not that way. And that kind of Greek way, that, that pagan way, had been creeping into the church. It's one of the confusions about who is Jesus. When the Jews talk about the title Son of God, what it means is it is a, it's almost, uh, you almost kind of think of it as mitosis. Like if, if, a, if I could split and there'd be kind of this other part of me, but he's a smaller diminished version a little bit, that becomes my son. And in their Jewish minds, the son and the father were very equal. And this is very hard to explain. I probably like said something heretical right there. Because Jesus is not, he's equal to the father, but he chooses to, he chose to become flesh, to diminish himself. God, the internal spirit of the father, couldn't be crucified. He's, he's made this illustration with the ocean and the glass of water from the ocean. The stuff in the glass and in the ocean is the same, but I can't bring the ocean here, but I can bring that glass here. I can't drink the ocean, but I can drink the, the glass, you know? And it's that in that sense, there's, a, there's kind of a, dimini- a smaller, I don't want to say diminishing because that makes it sound like it's a value judgment, but it's, it's the son is the very character and nature of the father. Whereas they would say, Greeks would say, no, Hercules, he's not the very character and nature of Zeus. He's just like my own son, Xavier. He's not my nature and character. He doesn't think the way I think. He doesn't know what I'm thinking before I think it. He's his own thing. But Jesus, son of God, there is no, the separation is not as as wide as the pagans would see it. In fact, it's a oneness. And that's why Jesus says things which are confusing to us. He says, you know, the son, I don't do anything on my own. I only do what the father has shown me. And then he tells Philip, you know, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's this, there's this difference there. And John very deliberately puts that title, Son of God, on the, words of, on the mouth of John the Baptizer. Because John the Baptizer is the last of the great Old Testament prophets. He is the splitting point between the Old Testament and New. He is Elijah among us. And this testimony of the Spirit then confirms Jesus as the Son of God through whom the Spirit of God comes. And he says that. He will give, he'll baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, then there's the testimony of the blood. Now I find it interesting that only John uses the phrase water and blood or blood and water together. He uses it together in both the gospel and he uses it together in the letter here. And I think there's a reason why he does that. I think John is a very thought out, they're all very thought out. John, though, he expects you to know what he wrote previously to understand what he's writing here. And, uh, and this idea of blood and water is kind of like the concept of baptism. Baptism is a concept that has lots of different meanings all in one. It's death to self, life in Christ. It's uh, cleansing of sin. It's, it's a symbol of uh, unity with, with Christ. It's a symbol of unity with the church. It's all happening at once. Blood and water are kind of the same thing. You know, there's sometimes they talk about birth as being an entrance into life through blood and water. And in Jesus' case, there's an interesting passage that only John talks about upon the crucifixion of Christ. And look at this, and read this carefully with me. It says, So the soldiers came, this is after Jesus was crucified, and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. If you remember, Jesus was crucified between two thieves. And the way you died on crucifixion is that you suffocated. You finally came to a point you couldn't hold yourself up anymore, and as your arms would pull up over your head, you couldn't breathe. 
And so this is why some people would last for days, even weeks on a cross if they were fed and given water, which sometimes the Romans did just to keep them alive so they would suffer longer. If they really wanted to suffer, they'd give them a little seat they could sit on. So they'd be up there on this cross for a long time. But when they wanted them to die, they'd break their legs so they couldn't support themselves. They couldn't lift themselves up anymore to breathe. So they'd have to go down, they'd stand up to breathe, and then they're just exhausted, they'll go down, break their legs. They can't breathe anymore. And in the story of Jesus, they wanted this to be done before the Passover. So they broke the leg. But coming to Jesus, when they saw he was already dead, they did not break his leg. Now this is the part that's unique to John. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And look what he says after that. And he who has seen has testified. And he's the one. John is. This is John never mentions himself by name in his gospel. We, we think he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. But in this case, we know he's the one that's there. He says, look what he says. And he who has seen has testified. And his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. He has the credibility, he has the proximity, and he has the integrity. I was a disciple. I was there. He's the only disciple of the 12 who was there at the foot of the cross. And he has the integrity. And then he says, For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of, his, of him shall be broken. And again, the other scripture says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. That's the testimony of the blood. And John gives his own testimony to what he witnessed there. So now let's take this background and let's read these passages out of 1 John. This is where we're going to end today. And just kind of see how it, it fleshes itself out. For there are three that testify. The Spirit and the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. The testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the son of God, see now you see that title again? It's on John's lips now. Not on the pagans, but on his lips. He who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Why do you have the testimony in yourself? Because Jesus came to baptize with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you have the testimony of God within you. And the testimony of God within you is your changed life, the way you're living your life, the things that, the way your perspectives are changing. That is a testimony to the people around you that something has changed with you. Some of you have testimonies, my background is Southern Baptist. We always used to like to get up on Wednesday nights and give a testimony, which is kind of your own spiritual journey. Where you were, what you met, where you were when you, before Christ, you met Christ after Christ. And some of the testimonies were pretty jaw-dropping, where people were, where they, and then they came to know Christ. In fact, there used to be this kind of, kind of complaint among some folks that say, oh, I grew up in church, so I don't have a very exciting testimony. Come on, that's the best testimony. You had Christ from the beginning. 
but some people felt like it wasn't fancy enough or exciting enough. You know, I used to do drugs and live in a gang. Then I came to know Jesus. Now I'm a pastor. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's not as exciting. Your testimony of your life isn't about being exciting. Your testimony of your life is about truth and who God is. So he says, the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself, the Holy Spirit. The one who does not believe in God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. It's in his incarnation, the Word becoming flesh. It's in the words and teachings and actions of his life. It's in his sacrificial substitutionary death for our sake. And it's in his overcoming of sin and death through the resurrection. He who has the Son has life. If you have that Spirit of God, you have life. He does not have the Son of God, does not have the life. And the reason why it's important to have this Jewish understanding instead of the pagan understanding is because we've talked about before, John talked about, that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Father, is the Spirit of the Son. You go through the Scriptures, you know, they keep referring to it back and forth. To know Jesus, to have Him in your life is to know God. Why? Because Jesus is the very Word of God made flesh. To have the Holy Spirit in your life is to have Christ in your life. Why? Because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of the Father. Look at Romans chapter 8 if you have questions. Look what Jesus said himself. I will come to you and I will bring the Spirit. It's all throughout the Scriptures. To know one is to know the other. To not know one is to know none of them. And so this becomes a place for you. And us, and all of us. Because the reason why John was writing this to the church is because he was afraid that there were some in the church that didn't know their Savior. That they were following something different. And I don't claim, you know, I'm a fallible person. I'm not claiming up here to be, you know, the, the beginning and the end of all things wise and true. Sometimes I get up here and go, man, did I just say something that was like heretical? Mm, hope not. But the scripture speaks for itself here. Look at verse 12, 11 and 12. The testimony is this. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. It's not in your works. It's not in any other God. It's not in anything else. It's in his Son. And he who has the Son has life. How do you have the Son? You have it through the Spirit of God. John the Baptist said, I baptize with water. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now we have our Pentecostal brethren that say, in order to prove you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, you have to have some kind of outward manifestation of tongues or falling down or whatever. But the Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says you'll know. You'll know. You have that testimony within you. And I know as a pastor, I deal with people a lot that sometimes like, oh, I'm not so sure I'm saved and all that, and they're looking for some kind of outward thing. And what I always point them back to is the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are these things growing in your life? Because that's the character and nature of Christ. I point to obedience. Are you willing to follow God in obedience? It doesn't matter if you understand everything. If he says, do this, are you willing to do it? That's a sign of having the Spirit of God. In fact, sometimes 
it's better not to know what the whole plan of God is. Because if you did, then you might be less likely to be obedient. And do you have this, and this is very subjective, but it's this peace that passes understanding. Do you sense that there is something greater in your life? Does your mind, do you struggle knowing that oh, this thing I used to enjoy, now it's a sin? If you have that struggle, that struggle is a sign of life. It's not something you have to just throw your hands up and feel defeated. If you didn't have the Spirit of God, you wouldn't be struggling. You'd be just like giving over to sin. Eh, no problem. So you have to kind of think about, you know, where you're at. What are you experiencing in your life right now? Because this, this is where John is getting. This is why he wrote this letter. He didn't want people going to church, praising a Jesus they didn't understand, never being filled with the Spirit of God as Christ intended. I can't answer the questions of your own soul for you. I can give you some indicators. I can point you to the scripture is what I do. But I can't answer the questions for you. Only you can. But I can give you my testimony. I know when the Holy Spirit saved me. And it wasn't the first time I went to church. I've told you before, I heard the gospel message probably well over 300 times before I became a believer. But I know when it happened. It happened when I was in Germany. And it wasn't like six months ago. It was... My first trip to Germany was when I was a kid in 1986. And I came and started off in Amsterdam with the, uh, with the understanding of what Amsterdam was all about. Back in the 80s, we knew full well, and we, we wanted to embrace it fully, my friends and I. And uh, started from that deep hole to only about three weeks later, realizing that's not how I want to live. And it's somewhere between here and Bremen, because you were on the way to catch a ferry from Bremen to Ireland, which was canceled. So somewhere between the, here and Bremen, and I don't know the name of the town because it was a long time ago, I sat by a river, and I just said, God, I don't really know if you're there or not. But if you are there, I give you my life. At that moment, everything changed. The whole trajectory of my life changed. I didn't speak in tongues. I'm not against speaking in tongues, but I didn't. I didn't fall down. But nothing was ever the same. And I went back and I told my friends, I was traveling with two guys I went to high school with, and we were at this YMCA and just passed out because we'd been like completely obliterated the night before. And I walked into these guys, and I said, hey, man, I think I just became a Christian. And my friends just looked at me. I think you smoked something again. And we got home to the States, and my life went a whole different direction than that had. Because now I was following Jesus. I wish I knew some things that I, I, I know now that I didn't know then. I wish I had stayed closer with them in a certain sense, because I just went, I'm off here. Everything changed. And I don't look back on that time as like, that's the only time, but that's, the, that's when I can tell you things shifted for me. Some of you have stories similar. Some of you have stories very different, but some of you might not have a story at all. Those are the ones I think you need to pay careful attention to what John is saying here. Because it would be a shame 
to spend a lot of time in the scriptures and in the churches and singing praises and never know your God. Know him because he wants to know you. He's done everything to know you. He's given everything to remove obstacles. Know him and know me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this testimony that we have, this testimony of truth to who you are. And Father, we pray that you would help us to take this deep passage, an admittedly confusing passage in some ways, in that it seems very circular to us, but as we look into your word, as we reflect the letter of John into the gospel of John, we see there is a depth there that is just really, really deep. And it's even hard for us to get our heads around it now. It's certainly hard for me. And so, Father, we just pray that you continue to walk us in closeness with you. And, Lord, we all, help us to take this, this central piece away that we need to know the Son. If we are going to know the Father, we need to have the Spirit of the Son and the Father, which is the Holy Spirit, given to us. And, Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters who... Uh, have your spirit, but are in different places of struggle. We all, it's like an endless thing. You know, we have a few days we're walking on sunshine, but most of the time it's having your spirit point out to us the places of our need to grow closer to you or to improve or to repent. Lord, help us to follow that, not to grow weary so we become more like you. And Lord, I pray for those here that may not know you. I don't know, I can't look into a person's soul. Only you can. I pray that if they are in a place of not knowing you, your spirit would tell them that right now. It would weigh heavy on them and say, you need to know me. And that they would know how to respond by just saying, then Lord, here's my life. Take it. Be my Lord and my Savior. And God, that they, their lives would be transformed, that this would be a time in their testimony when they testify to others. This is where my life changed. God, we thank you that you are our life changer. You don't just leave us in our misery. You don't just leave us in our foolishness. You change us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.